Blog Talk Radio. Did you know that elders and others are losing their rights to liberty and property? Anyone can petition a court to have a person deemed incapacitated. What if that person is you? The adult guardianship system was created to protect incompetent people and their assets. A court-appointed guardian, sometimes a total stranger, can force you into a nursing home and sell your home to pay for services. Treasured belongings can disappear as you are drugged and isolated from loved ones. Why does this happen? Unfortunately, the courts don't have the funding to supervise and audit cases. A guardian makes all decisions on your behalf, taking control of your assets with little accountability. The potential for abuse is frightening. Luckily, not all guardians exploit those under their care, but when they do, there's really nowhere to go for help. The National Association to Stop Guardian Abuse, NASGA, is working to reform adult guardianship to return it to its once noble purpose of protecting the human rights to life, liberty, and property and ending financial exploitation of assets. Are you or your loved ones protected? To learn more, visit StopGuardianAbuse.org. Good evening, everyone. This is Marty Oakley, the PPJ Gazette Online, and this is the DS Radio Network. Good evening, everyone. I choke up every time I hear her voice. Uh, For those who don't know, our beautiful Marty Oakley passed away April 1st, and there is a handful of us who are going to carry on her legacy and keep putting shows on the show. And one of those very important people is Reverend Ralph, and we have Reverend Ralph on the show tonight. Say hello, Reverend Ralph. Good evening, everyone, worldwide. We also have another special person tonight, and Marty just loved her. And, in fact, before before Marty's passing went live on Facebook, there was a small little inner circle of people that I made sure knew that Marty had passed away. And one of those people tonight is Valerie Joy, Joy and she is with us tonight. Say hello, Valerie. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you, Valerie, and Valerie was so supportive as soon as I had let her know. She just was like, how can I support you, Kaz? And I just wanted to let you know how much that meant to me. I'm going to try not to cry thinking about Marty because Marty would slap me. Um, We're going to have a great show tonight. I can already see we have a full board. We have all kinds of area codes tuning in, and we found out from Chris from Australia that they are really pushing this show. It already has had a worldwide presence, but they're using Twitter, which I'm not good at Twitter, but Chris is, and she's using Twitter, and we are reaching out. We are reaching out to the countries of Ireland, Scotland, Norway, and Japan. It it sounds like there are groups that are forming in those countries. So if you are in guardianship abuse, and we just mentioned those countries, please know that we are aware of what's going on, and there are other people in those countries that are trying to organize. So I'm going to repeat those countries again, and you can get a hold of, if you are in these countries and you want to connect with others, it looks like the main person who's getting everybody together is out of ASCA. They're out of the country of Australia, and the website is aasga.org. It's the Australian Association to Stop Guardianship and Administrative Abuse. And so that is the group. They are basically coordinating with people from, I'll say, the countries again. We're looking for Japan, Ireland, Scotland, and Norway. People have already come forward from those countries, and they're trying to get organized to stop this crime, which we are going to report on. We reported on the crime last week out of Australia, and we had found out that the U.N. has filed sanctions against that country, 
They are now the second country next to Rwanda who has been sanctioned for human rights violations. And we are also going to report, unfortunately, Reverend Ralph and I have to report on the United States of America. We are also experiencing these abuses in our courts, and we, myself and Reverend Ralph, know firsthand our abuse stories came out of Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, but there are other counties in the United States of America that are, that are uh, reporting these abuses. Before we get started, we at TS Radio Network want to send out our deepest sympathy and condolences to Brenda Daniel, her mom, Poochie, which everyone has seen the pictures, free Poochie, and the poor, beautiful Poochie with the bruised up face who was hidden away from her family. She passed away, unfortunately, last week. Brenda has been on the show speaking to us. She hails from the state of Maryland. And we want to just let you know, Brenda, we, you have our deepest sympathies in this terrible, terrible time. We are so sorry what happened to Poochie, your mom, but just know, as you, as you had told me, she's in no, no more suffering. So we des- definitely want to let everyone know that, that, that we did have a, um, a very sad victim passing story. Um, we also are going to, first we're going to have Reverend Ralph give us a fun update, and then I have a few more updates after that. So, Reverend Ralph, why don't you take it away, because you just have action going on on a weekly basis, and what is your thought for the day? Oh, good evening, Cos. Uh, yeah, tonight's topic, uh, I have several little topics I wanted to uh, get people um, up to date on. And before, i like to get everybody from now on, to always have a pen and paper with you because we will be giving out information, Other, our guests will be giving out information and phone numbers, and it's important that you write down this because uh, the information down because just like me, uh, you probably will forget things at times, and that will be the worst things you could probably have done is not remembering very important uh, information and numbers. So on that note, um, one of the things I have heard from different people contacting me through my website, protectmyparents.us, is the very, very horrible situation that these guardians do to people, which is um, forbidding them, banning them from seeing their loved ones. And this is, again, we keep talking about they're criminals. Yes, they are. They're sadists. Yes, they are, these guardians and the lawyers that protect them. And but it, it just goes beyond that. It, it's you know it's one thing to steal money uh, like any common crook does, but they seem to get a pleasure out of doing it to people, stealing their money, their assets, denying their uh, relative or their children, their wives, husbands, the money that they worked for and saved for, and they seem to enjoy that. And on top of that. They take one other little uh, very sadistic pleasure, which is banning people from seeing their loved ones. And this is usually done at nursing homes. And there is a gentleman uh, who uh, has gone through this for three years. Uh, He is in Cook County, Illinois. And from what I've gathered, Cook County is a very, very dangerous place to be if you're guardianized because of the the way those matters are handled in court. And he has not seen his wife for three years. He's had no contact with her for three years because of the guardians keeping him away. And his name is Dean, D-E-A-N, 
And because of that, he has basically been living in his car for three years because he has no more money to uh, pay lawyers and so forth. And the courts are demanding and have demanded that he take these evaluations to prove that he's uh, capable of being with his uh, wife. And I've gone through the same thing. And I refuse those evaluations just because they have no basis at all, and especially no basis of accuracy. And this is one of the things I have found out or learned when my loved person went through one of these evaluations twice so far, and that, uh, and now they're, they're planning to have one a third time to be able to see whether my loved person wants to see me, which is sick in itself. But these so-called psychologists, they like to call themselves neuropsychologists, they make up these evaluations. Now, in Pennsylvania, they're called IME, Independent Medical Evaluation. And the joke is the fact that they have no medical tests connected to them. They're basically just one, two, five, whatever, paper and pencil tests that are downloaded from the Internet, and they have no independent proof of accuracy. And I have said this many times because it is important. When these guardianships start, they are usually assigned a uh, psychologist, the court assigns a psychologist, and he does this evaluation on the person who is up for guardianship. And the problem is that uh, usually, and especially in Pennsylvania, there are no standards or requirements that uh, that determine uh, for an evaluation. There's no standards or requirements uh, that will determine what an accurate evaluation must be. So what happens is these psychologists, it's the Wild West. They decide what they want to do, how they do it. It can be one test, five tests. The time could be one hour, half an hour, or five hours. And this just can't be done when you're dealing with human lives and their futures. So uh, the problem is also is they never record those sessions. They never audio or video record those sessions. And something as simple as a cell phone would prove how the person said something uh, and when they said it and how they said it or did not say something a certain way. And at the end of these evaluations, uh, the report by the psychologist, they will give all this information that they think sounds impressive, but the problem is they can't prove that report belongs to that specific person because they don't record the session. And I find it very interesting at the end, they have a paragraph that makes it sound very uh, authentic, but they conclude it by saying, in their opinion. Well, when these people, when these quacks, as I call them, the psychologists, when they're charging anywhere from 1000 up to $5,000 for an hour or two hours of their time, we don't want opinions. We want facts. And when you, ask, when you think about it, who knows that person better? Who knows them better as far as their abilities and what they can do or what they shouldn't be doing, like driving a car? Some guy that sits with them for an hour or two hours or the, one of the family members. And in Pennsylvania, 
supposedly a medical doctor is required to be a part of that evaluation. And I know for a fact they weren't. So it, it comes down to money. Does the family have enough money that they want to spend, and they always do, the family will do anything for their loved person, do they have enough money to fight the courts and fight the lawyer that was assigned to the person, as they are in the very beginning of it, and also do they have the money to fight the guardian after they are assigned to that person to appeal the case? Because after the guardian is hired, they have access to the bank account of the victim, and they can spend as much money as they want. And this is why I feel very, very sorry for these families and loved ones, because they will spend every dollar they have to do such a thing, to try to get that person out of guardianship. And it's basically a very, very hard fight to do. It's a very low t- percentage of time when they can get their loved person out of guardianship. So I met, I met this person, Dean, oh, a couple weeks ago. I didn't meet him. I talked to him on the phone. Very educated, very intelligent man. Uh, as I say, he's the one who hasn't been able to see his loved one, his wife, for about three years now. And he would like people who are in Illinois, especially Cook County, to text him if they are also victims of being banned from their loved ones. And his phone number is 847-868-6536. And like I said, this is how we can help each other, by keeping in contact with each other. Uh, If we have a problem, uh, or if you have a problem, I want you to email me, and I will try to help you. I will respond to your emails. And again, if you're in Pennsylvania, I could help you more with that, especially in Montgomery County. We have the FBI that uh, in Pennsylvania that is working on the uh, cases of other people pertaining to guardianship corruption. The district attorney's office up in Norristown, I got them to reopen the case. If you're in Montgomery County, contact the DA's office. Uh, Detective Kelly, he's uh, supposedly handling the case. Uh, And this, again, we build cases and we force these people to investigate to get to the guardianship corruption matters. So we can get sometimes results for various people. Um, So when, when you get involved with this, it's important to note that if you hire a lawyer, a lawyer is basically just going to size you up as far as how much money you have, and I'm not saying for every lawyer, but for most of them, they know the judges, they know the other lawyers that do guardianships, and this is why it's important to keep in the back of your mind that he may make you think that he's going to do a great job, he may make you think that something is getting done, but remember, the guy is only earning his money by stretching out the billing hours. That's all he's doing. He knows these other people. He's not going to go against the judge and so forth. He's going to do as little as possible in order to make it look like he's getting something done. And this is why you have to be your own best friend. You have to know the laws. You have to go to websites in your state 
uh, go to their search engines. Uh, one of them is prose.com, I think it is, or prose.org, or just Google prose. And you have to remember, you have to learn what is being done. Lawyers follow the rules. They go through the same steps every time. You have to learn what their terminology is. You have to learn what they're doing. Always get a copy of every sheet, every document they get, because you have to study it. Because there might be a time when your lawyer will decide he doesn't want to do your case anymore. And this is the problem with me. I did not follow the case. He would tell me certain things. I'd say, okay, fine. I thought he was helping me out, and he was doing some things. But for health reasons, he had to quit suddenly, and I'm left looking at thousands and thousands of documents that I have to learn the terminology. I have to learn what is, has to be done, what has to be appealed, what briefs to file, or f uh, file and so forth. You can't let that go to the last minute because there are deadlines. And if you miss those deadlines, you miss the opportunity of being able to appeal something that is, has gone against you. So it's very important to keep up to date on everything that's being done. Keep a daily diary so you know what has been done at what time. Uh, phone calls that you make to your lawyer when they were done. Uh, what was said back and forth. This is very important. So I want people to remember, in worst-case scenarios, if you run out of money, you have to do it yourself. And if you're not familiar with how to be pro se in your state, if you're not familiar with the rules and regulations of pro se, which is basically in Pennsylvania, if, strangely enough, you're expected to know as much as a lawyer does in Pennsylvania, even if you're pro se. There is no leniency just because you don't have a lawyer. So it really is important that you know the laws, know the statutes, know the regulations, but most important, know what was done as far as that evaluation to determine incapacitation of the person. This will help you tremendously. And these are things that your own lawyer may not think of challenging. And if they are not done correctly, the steps, then your case will have a better chance of winning if something wasn't done at the first level. So it's very important that, this, uh, that you do those things. Also, make sure your lawyer is proactive. That means when you're proactive, that means the other side doesn't know what's coming. Most of the time, most lawyers are simply reactive. They will simply uh, react to what the other side does. And the other side knows what that side, your side, will be doing. So it's basically just a game of they hit the ball, then they know the ball is going to come back to them. You have to make sure your lawyer does everything, gets subpoenas to get documents, find out the qualifications of the psychologist who's doing the evaluation. If he's doing an evaluation, find out what his dissertation was in to get his Ph.D. If it was in something unrelated to, uh, to dealing with people with memory issues, then 
he really is not a qualified psychologist to do any type of evaluation. The best thing is get a psychiatrist, a board-certified psychiatrist to do an evaluation and make sure your own medical or their, your loved one's medical doctor is involved because they can testify as far as when they see him twice a year and all. They know what kind of condition they are mentally. They know what their abilities are. So if, if it's a family member that started that petition, you really have a hard job because they're going to object to everything that would be for the benefit of your loved person. So these, uh, in the future, we're going to have many more topics to talk about. And this, again, I want to help people in what they're involved with now, whether it's the beginning, middle, or at the end of their guardianship with their loved person. So on that note, Cos, you can take it back. Thank you so much, Reverend Ralph. And as we're talking about lawyers, I just want everyone to know there is, and I'm not going to say what state it is, but hey, Montgomery County um, predator lawyers, it's not you. So they can breathe. They can breathe a sigh of release. We know they listen to this and charge some victim for listening. Anyway, there is a lawyer that is going to be getting a lot of mass complaints filed because it has come to our attention that in this certain state that we're doing it, that if you file enough complaints on the same lawyers, their malpractice insurance goes up. Now, you want to file legit complaints, right? And also, even if you never hired that lawyer, if you, are, if you feel it's like a crime against humanity sort of thing, you are eligible to file those complaints. So I'll keep everyone posted on this as this is about to happen to a certain guardianship lawyer in a certain state. It is not Pennsylvania, but we will be checking out the laws in Pennsylvania to see if this holds true in that state too because at that point we might have a little bit of help here to try and get rid of some of these predator lawyers. But anyway, now on to positive stuff because Valerie Joy – she loves checking in with us because she likes to know what's going on and what are what's going on with our beloved elderly because she thinks this is awful, this guardianship stuff. So she really cares about the elderly. She's checking in with us, and I'm just going to brag on her really quick. She was recently appointed to the advisory committee seat for the Center for Aging and Research and Education, which is called CARE, which is part of the University of Wisconsin-Madison School of Nursing, to brag on the UW-Madison, it is one of the top medical institutions in the world. And fun fact about UW-Madison, there's a big Ronald McDonald House, and it is there's a doctor there, and it is, I don't know if you knew this, Valerie, UW-Madison is the only hospital in the whole world that does juvenile organ transplants. So there's, oh, it's, a, it's a very, very, yeah, it's the only only hospital in the world that does that. We have that Ronald McDonald thing. It's really a big medical hospital. So the fact that you were appointed something with UW-Madison and School of Nursing is so, so huge. And also, Valerie was awarded in 2022. She was the Care and Support Volunteer of the Year for the Alzheimer's Association. Valerie Hales from Madison, Wisconsin, and also you live part-time in Puerto Rico. So, Valerie, tell us a little bit about what you're doing, what you're up to, and 
and what's going on with all the different places that you're living. Well, thank you so much for welcoming me back, Kaz. It's really great to be here, and I feel more connected to this conversation than ever uh, because I was recently working uh, with adults with disabilities um, as their case manager. So I definitely very connected to um, the drama, the stress, the the challenges that are present for adults that are caring for loved ones or um, others with disabilities or elders. Uh, a little bit about me, um, I'm a nursing assistant. I have been for a decade now, and I'm also trained as a wilderness first responder. And I know those don't sound like they go together, but I've managed to um, weave them together really beautifully over the last few years um, doing a bit of disaster relief work. Um, Kaz mentioned that I I do split my time in Puerto Rico, and that all began with disaster relief work after Hurricane Maria about five years ago now. Uh, But what I've discovered is both of my worlds, no matter whether I'm in Wisconsin or the island, um, there are so many people that are caring for others, whether it's um, younger family members, older family members, neighbors, friends. There's so many people caring for other people that just aren't doing a very good job caring for themselves or forgetting to take care of themselves until it's too late. So I've really been working hard on making sure that those really important community members are taking really great care of themselves, myself included, so that we can keep doing the magical work we're doing. So, um, yeah, it's been really great to um, stay connected with you, Kaz, especially in this last year or so, because I lost someone uh, really important to me that I want to honor today and make sure I'm passing along some of her wisdom and the torch, uh, and that's my grandmother. And she was a woman, um, she lived to 100 years old, so she really taught me the value of taking care of myself, but also sharing with my community and making sure that, you know, everyone is well taken care of, whether they are young or old or have a disability or um, can't take care of themselves. So it's truly an honor to be back here and share some of my my tidbits in honor of my grandmother. Oh, my goodness, that is so sweet, 100 years old. That's so amazing. You know, when 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 you're talking about taking care of, of ourselves, and that's something, and especially I know Reverend Ralph, like he's in the midst of it. His loved one is still alive and still suffering. So it's really, I you know, I'm going to speak for him. It's probably really hard for him to even not focus on this. And I know so many people that I've talked to while their loved one is still alive. It's a lot of stress. It's really hard for them to really focus on themselves. But one thing that I think about is if anyone's ever flown on an airplane and they tell about when the oxygen drops, if you have a young child in your lap, you put yours on first before you put it on the young child. And so you do, you have to take care of yourself first before you can help someone else. And I think that burnout, that caregiver burnout, is really hard. And I know there's also the the donut generation, I've heard it called. Did you want to explain what that donut generation is? And maybe many listeners are in that donut generation. I know I was, and I didn't even know it was a thing back when I was caring for my parents. Absolutely, yeah. There's what we refer to as the donut 
or sandwich sometimes, where it's an individual that is caring for both a generation or multiple generations, one older and one younger. And I was um, in that unique opportunity with my grandmother when I was her caregiver. So not only was I living with her and making sure her needs were met, but I also had to have have two children of my own, and they were living with us uh, part-time as well. So it can be very challenging, extremely challenging, when trying to juggle care for multiple generations of people that have different values and different needs. And earlier, Reverend Ralph said, being your own best friend, and I think that's the best um, advice and kind of a great way to sum up all of our conversation tonight because if we aren't taking that great care of ourselves, we won't be able to do anything for anyone else. We can't pour if our cup is empty at all. Um, so really taking that time. For me, it's kind of funny, just thinking of catching my breath or taking a, a couple minutes to pause. I've been struggling with allergies, so it's truly a challenge to breathe right now. But thinking about how important it is to just catch our breath sometimes. And, you know, if it's as simple as, you know, pausing for a minute and truly breathing or reciting a passage or singing a little song to ourselves, something to just reset, it can be so powerful in any um, any challenge that we're faced with. So just making sure that we're taking care of ourselves and thinking about how as we take care of ourselves, everyone that is around us benefits. And, you know, it it can be, you know, a professional role that we're, you know, faced with, but it can also be as simple as, you know, taking care of our children or making sure our loved one is um, getting all the attention that they deserve or the care that they deserve. Oh, my gosh. We have a caller that is wanting to um, ask a question. So let's see if I can get them on. We got area code 703. Let's see. Area code 703, you're live and on the air. Hello. Hello. This is Marcel. Oh, it's Marcel. Hello. Hello. Um, I wanted to ask your um, guest a question. Um, I know that lots of people who are taking care of their elderly parents I did with most, both of my parents, too. Um, can you tell me how long it generally takes for people to recover from it? Because I know people, and they're still, they were wore out in the process, and they really didn't regenerate afterwards. Do you have some uh, tips that you can give them for how to regenerate after their parent has passed? Absolutely. I think I am still in that phase of taking good care and resetting after loss and after being a a caregiver. And uh, a really, a few simple things that are really powerful is making sure you are getting enough sleep. You know, taking those time to get your, your good number of sleep hours. Everyone is a little bit different, but making sure that you're getting that good, healthy rest maintaining your sleep cycle um, and making sure that you're eating well. You know, it's easy to skip meals or eat convenient food, but those are all going to wear at our body and not help us, you know, fuel out the machine that we are to the best. So making sure we're getting really good meals and if possible, even exercising. So, you know, 
doing our best to make sure that we're, you know, taking care of our, ourselves as the core human that we are so that we can kind of get back to a healthy routine and some of those grounding pieces of life. And even thinking about our mental health care, what are we doing to, you know, make sure we are talking through the stress or the grief or the trauma or all of those items because so many times being a caregiver or, you know, dealing with guardianship challenges, there is a lot of trauma involved. So making sure that we're working through our mental health struggles as well. Um, Yeah, and again, making sure we take that time to breathe. It may sound trivial, but it is so important and something we all take for granted and don't often really get those deep, deep, Moments for deep breathing <laughs> and reconnection with ourselves. Okay. Thank, uh, one other question. Can you Go suggest a book, or, uh, a book or a manual or something perhaps that people can read or a website that lists these things? Well, one of the places, I, I, if I'm allowed to humbly offer my own website, um, Absolutely. Living. Beautiful. Joyfulliving.info is my website, and I do offer uh, a a host of different options for individuals to connect. And one of them is uh, a caregiver community space where individuals can come together and talk, um, as well as different opportunities for caregiver coaching. Um, and all of those different resources are available through joyfulliving.info. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you, Thank you Marcel. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. Oh. oh, my gosh. Marcel is, is so wonderful. She's actually one of our sponsors here for this show. And Marcel is in charge of the Whistleblower Summit, Whistleblower Summit. Which I'll just do a real quick. We're going to be there this summer, this um, in July, and we are going to be having Tina, Dr. Tina Pion of Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, who was the speaker at the Senate Committee on Aging back in March. We're also going to have Marcia Southwick of NASCA, the National Association to Stop Guardianship Abuse, and we're also going to have Chris Dallas of from Australia of the Australian Association to Stop Guardianship Abuse and Administrative Abuse. So I think we're going to do a great panel and hopefully come up with some great solutions. So thank you, Marcel, for always sponsoring that Whistleblower Summit. Um, one thing that I noticed that you were doing on Facebook, Valerie, are you doing like a little, like a group chat sort of thing on Facebook for caregivers? Or did I read yes, that wrong? Yes, absolutely. No, you brought that up. Oh, Thank tell you us for about reminding it. me of it. Yes. So there are, um, through you can get to it through the website or through Facebook, a, uh, a conversation coming up. So there's a group called Caring for the Caregiver. Pretty simple to remember. And through that community, you can start conversations, um, have simple uh, question and answer sessions, But if you want to connect a little bit more uh, personally, we once a month will be uh, joining together over Zoom for what I call time for a couple. So getting together with other like-minded individuals to talk through what's been stressing you out and maybe maybe you want to give some hope to someone else. Um, Just a really 
great time to come together and talk about what's on your heart. So this is once a month. The next gathering will be on June 29th, so that's a few days from now. Um, And, again, this will be on Zoom. So you can, again, through the website, get connected if you'd like that link. I'm happy to share that with individuals because this isn't something that is specific to, you know, just Wisconsin. Uh, Caregiver stress is something that's international. And there are some really incredible ideas uh, from other parts of the world as far as self-care and caring for others. So it's really great to get other perspectives whenever possible. Is there a cost um, to joining the Zoom call? No, not at all. So I really do love connecting um, with purpose and offering some free services from time to time. And these monthly Zoom calls are free. Oh, my gosh. This is so amazing. I wish I had something like this back when I was the caregiver because you do, you you don't realize like that what you're going through is something that people know about. And and until after my parents had passed away and I heard Donut Generation, I'm like, that was me. That was me. My kids were school-aged and my parents were passing away and, you know, taking them to their different doctor appointments. And I mean, just watching, it was, it was a hard, it was a hard time. It was an honor to take care of them, but it was a hard time. And then, you know, right after, right after my parents died, then it was kicking into guardianship abuse. And it was just like, I never escaped it. I would say once all your loved ones have, that you were caring for have passed away for me, and also knowing about crimes of guardianship abuse, I've had this talk with many people. I feel that you have to pick it up and then you have to put it down. And so if when your loved one is still alive, like I know Reverend Ralph, you cannot ever, you're focused on this 24-7 because you're trying to free your loved one. But once your loved one passes away, you cannot allow this to consume you. You can't allow the anger to consume you. You cannot allow... The, the want for revenge to consume you because it will become a pit in your stomach. And so you definitely need to pick this up and, and then you also have to put it down so that it's not my focus 24-7 like it used to be, but I'm still here. I'm still fighting. I always say I'm playing the long game because I'm still here and I do want to see justice. But I also keep myself doing other things to not have it be my focus all the time. Cos, can I uh, ask yeah. a question? How you doing? Uh, it's, Absolutely. It's, it's Valerie, correct? Yes, it is. Yes. Okay. Uh, Valerie, uh, as awful as it is that these people are dealing with corrupt guardians, uh, they seem to add a little bit of extra pain uh, the guardians, when they demonize uh, the person, the relative, the um, you know, the wife or daughter, whatever, that's trying to get them out of guardianship. And I've talked to many people, and I'm also a person that's been victimized by this demonization of being accused of doing things and all. How, how should people deal with that? I mean, it's like adding more pain to what's being done to the person yeah. they love. Well, I think for so many um, tough situations, um, making sure that we're focusing on the things that we can truly control and the things that, you know, 
the things that we can't control, don't let them consume our time and our health and our mental energy and focus on those things that are here and now and present. So, you know, making sure you are taking that time to, you know, mental health care is a, a big thing. Uh, making sure that you're taking that time to reset and focus on, you know, what is here now and present so that as these stressors, these traumas, these challenges arise, you aren't um, reacting, but more so, I think you were saying this before about being proactive, you know, doing whatever we, think, any, whatever we can now to take care of X, Y, and Z so that when these fires arise, we're better prepared. And I think that's kind of where my mental, or excuse me, my wilderness first responder training comes in and thinking about looking around what's in our scene and seeing, okay, there's a lot going on here. What what can I help fix? What can I, you know, do a little bit to tweak and adjust? And what's really out of my control? And what should I just let go? So, you know, doing our best to assess what we're facing and then, you know, pick the little things here and there that we can, you know, process. Um, that way we're not getting bogged down or overwhelmed because I know um, in the past when I have been dealing with a lot of stressors, it can be very easy to get lost in the overwhelm and almost get paralyzed then because you don't know what to do or where to focus Reverend, did that help a little bit? Yeah, it was very useful information. Um, I remember uh, there's a woman, Austin, was that her name, Cause? Uh, oh, Austin Gibson. She's one of my dearest friends, yes. She told me in the yes. very beginning, she gave me, and again, I have to say, I have met so many people through uh, the show and others who have gone through this. I've met so many people that have given me very intelligent information, and I want to thank all of them if any of them are listening. But Austin said to me in the very, very beginning when, she, um, when, I, when it first started, this guardianship of my loved one, she said, you must take uh, one day off during the week and not even think about the guardianship, not not do anything connected to it. Because Austin said, if you don't take one day off just for yourself, she said, you will go insane. Because just like you said, Kaz, you will be overwhelmed with everything that's going on. And I still remember to this day what Austin said, that there is you just have to take one day off, not think about it, not do anything, because otherwise you will just really burn yourself out. And I thought to this day how useful that information is. Austin is so amazing. We should have her on here. I got I got a I got a brag on this phone call that I had with Austin. So I drive like forty five minutes one way to work. So I usually will call people. Reverend Ralph and I are sometimes chatting on the phone while I'm driving. So that's when I try to get my phone calls done so that I can do other stuff during the day. And I'm in my car anyway, driving an hour and a half round trip. So one day I was um Austin and I planned a phone call. And do you want to know what? By the end of the phone call, we realized we not once talked about guardianship or any of this stuff. We actually had a conversation about the other parts of our life. And I am going to go on a cruise with Austin because we were talking about this great cruise that we're going on together someday. But I really felt 
after we realized, I'm like, Austin, do you know what we didn't even bring up the whole time? For 45 minutes, her and I just chatting away. I go, we didn't even talk about these holes. And um, Othole, Judge Stanley Ott and his merry band of predators, that's why, and Austin coined the term Othole. I go, we didn't even talk about the Otholes. And I really felt that was so healing that the two of us have this true friendship that isn't only just revolved around guardianship and everything, that we had a conversation about with each other about what we were doing in life with nothing to do with any of this. And for me... I felt that was really healing and also a really bonding, like that the friendship is so bonded that it's not just about this. Like she truly is one of my dearest friends. And I met her because of guardianship. And, of course, her mother uh, succumbed to her injuries, sustained in guardianship in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, just as my uncle did. And that's where Reverend Ralph is now fighting the scam in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. So, you know, it's the silver lining in all of it, all the friends that we've met. And it's very unfortunate, you know, the circumstances that we've all met. But the fact that we've turned it into some really positive stuff is is awesome. What do you say about that, Valerie? Like, what is that, like, is that like a healing thing that Austin and I have gone through? I think so. Well, and I was just thinking back over the last few years of what I have faced myself and how isolated I have felt at times. And what has been so healing for me is those times where I've been able to pause and have really good heart-to-heart conversations with friends where I can remember who I am, you know, the person that came before the caregiver and the guardian and all of all of the stress, remembering who I am and what my passions are and what makes me home and maybe even laugh every once in a while, you know. There are, there are so many times that are so stressful and having a person that we can reach out to or help or conversation or maybe some humor is so therapeutic and so important because the last thing we need to do is work ourselves, you know, into a corner by ourselves without anyone to turn to. I have a question, Valerie. Now, I know I referred a friend to you. Now, not everyone who gets Alzheimer's gets put into guardianship. And that's a good thing. But I know that I referred a friend to you, and her mom was not in guardianship, but but she was the caregiver. I know there are people out there whose loved one does have Alzheimer's dementia, whether they're in guardianship, but if they're not in guardianship even, what are some of of the signs that, that your loved one is starting to have some cognitive disability, and what should people do? I would love to just talk on that topic because you're such an expert on that topic even though it's not totally pertaining to guardianship I think it would be very valuable information for sure well so I I do often talk about you know what are the normal signs of aging and for so many of us we can think about that easily you know changes in our hair color and how our eyes you know don't adjust or focus as well as they used to Um, but there are other signs you know things like not being able to follow through on everyday tasks like we used to be able to, or maybe we are having challenges driving, or maybe there are uh, there are a whole host of different things. You could be reverting to a native language um, that you don't normally speak as often, or you could just be, you know, forgetting how to say the words that would normally be really easy 
to remember. So, you know, describing something rather than saying its name. Um, But the one thing that I want to always remember when I start this conversation is that everyone experiences dementia differently. We all age differently. We all have different lifestyle factors that have contributed into how we're aging. So no two people um, experience the same symptoms in the same um, in the same progression or at the same pace. So if someone in your circle is experiencing uh, a, a change, you know, it's really great to make note of it and then have a conversation with them because so often um, if someone is starting to have some cognitive changes, they might notice them themselves and they might have some questions or concerns or fears um, because as many of us know there is a lot of stigma around Alzheimer's dementia and aging in general Um, so it can be really important to simply have a conversation so that way if they are experiencing something like cognitive decline they can get support but also be honored at the same time because the last thing we want to do is ever assume um, that because someone is diagnosed with dementia that they want to be treated a certain way. So always thinking about, you know, recognizing if the person that we love is, you know, having a hard time doing tasks that they used to do with ease or maybe forgetting um, the way to get to a familiar place or having a hard time describing things, making sure that we make note of these things so that when and if they're able to go to the doctor, we can help make note and help um, with the diagnostic process as well because that can be a bit of a challenge. What sort of what sort of resources are out there for someone like like my friend who I who you like took such good loving care of? But if you would want to share those resources out to everybody, what resources are out there for people who are all of a sudden faced with caring with an with an elderly parent who is starting to go through Alzheimer's and dementia? So one of the easiest spots to go to is ALZ. .org. That's the landing page for the Alzheimer's Association, and they have resources in, I think, over 200 languages now and can really speak to a lot of the different challenges that arise for individuals and the caregivers at all stages of the journey. And there are some resources that are specific to some of like the specific behavioral challenges that could arise. There's also resources speaking to financial management and everything in between. So that, again, is ALZ.org. And now, unfortunately, many of our Alzheimer's and dementia patients are actually um, taken advantage of, and that's where the predators come in. Do, Do they do any sort of training on how to protect yourself from fraud and from these predators? I know so many people, this is such such a unique fraud, and it seems like it's not very well known out in the out in the world that hey, there's predators and they're really taking advantage of these these you know really vulnerable elderly people. Is there any training that that is ongoing that people are starting to recognize that the 
these predators are preying on these vulnerable people with Alzheimer's and dementia? I know in one of the classes that I have taught in managing money that we speak to that a little bit. Um, I know also um, on a state state and county-by-county level, at least in Wisconsin and beyond, there are aging and disability resource centers that do work with a bit of education as far as fraud and financial awareness and um, also technical uh, education, technical literacy for uh, elders. So there's a multifaceted approach uh, because the more aware we are, the better (laughs) because so often it is that lack of education or that lack of awareness that can lead so easily to fraud. Um, I'm trying to think of any other resources I know off the top of my head, but I'm blanking at the moment. Yeah. Um, well, and and for all the listeners, like we live in Wisconsin, you don't hear a lot of stories coming out of Wisconsin. And um, from what I understand, we have three different layers of legislation where most states have two. So it it is harder. And the fact that I live here in Wisconsin, and I don't really I don't really know a lot of. I mean, there's there's one big one which was the hotel heiress who owned three hotels up by the Dells. That's the worst one. And, um, but otherwise, there's really, there's, there's not anything like what we're seeing in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. And what I'm told is that the laws in the states that were the original colonies, that's where these scams are like creeping up because of how those laws were written and they're still on the books and they're super old. And so that's why Wisconsin is doing a lot of things right. And they, we do have a lot of resources for the elderly and we actually were voted. I, my husband just told me he heard this on the radio and it is um, cash app. I think it's like this cash app that people have. Wisconsin was voted the number one not scammed of the elderly state in the whole United States. So go Wisconsin. We were number one by Cash App. It was like announced on the radio that if you're if you're elderly and you're living in Wisconsin, you're less likely to be scammed than in any other state in the in the United States. So hey, I'm Wisconsin. But um but definitely because we the United States, like we have loved ones who live in all different states, which for me, my loved one lived in Pennsylvania. And so the scam affects you, whether you live, you know, if you live in Wisconsin or not, if you live in Wisconsin, you have a loved one that's somewhere else in Wisconsin, or you, if you leave the state, you could be succumbed, you know, they can grab you in other states. And we've definitely had those stories that have come on. So, you know, it's just well, it's yeah. How do we stop? Getting how do so we stop these scams? These days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we just have to continue to advocate and educate, and yeah, do what we can to protect people in our circles, and yeah, stay a step ahead, um, which is not always that easy. But education, I think, is yeah. the best best tool in that regard. Right, and exposing it, which what we do on the on this on this program, and we have so many different people that come on from all over the country and even all over the world, and we're hearing the same stories. I would say one thing, and Reverend Ralph, let me know if you would agree. The one thing that really helped me when when the scam first happened, and I knew I'm like this is 
this is against the law. I mean, we went to the attorney general's office right away, and of course now everyone knows that no one cares when you go and report things to, you still got to report because you're making a paper trail, but we know that nobody cares. Um, and so you think like it's going to be fixed right away, like, oh, well, what they're doing, this is wrong. This is, you know, they're breaking the law and everything. And then nothing happens, and then they start demonizing you. It was when I started to find other people who had had the same thing happen to them. Then you're like, okay, in a, in a sick sort of way, it gives you a little bit of, like, peace about it. Because, okay, I'm not the only one this is happening to. I'm not just crazy. I'm not actually this terrible person that they've portrayed. You know, I was told in court I should have, I'm such a terrible person, I should have never been a mother. So my children disagree, but, yes, Judge Ott did say that to me in court. And so, I I mean, so when people are being, um, you know, when you're so isolated like that, like I didn't know about NASCA, I didn't know about all these things when I first went through this, and just finding other people that are going through the same thing, there is like um, a comfort in that. Am I, am I making sense? Would you agree, Reverend Ralph? Am I making sense on that? Like just finding other people, even though it sucks that they went through this also, makes you have like feel like you're not crazy? Yeah, I agree with you, cause it's it's a very lonely experience when you have a loved person yeah. uh, in um, guardianship. And the fact that if it's usually a, ca- a family member that started it, it basically you're in disbelief that a close family member would do something like that to their own loved person. And what's, what I have found that's interesting is how uh, you just become so – uh, overwhelmed, as you have said, with the situation, and you feel that uh, you know you're basically all alone. And when uh, when people do again, like you said, demonize you, you feel even less important and more alone. But again, it's something where in life, life is not fair. Life is not pretty. And what I just keep going back to, because I did 41 years of doing lie detection testing, was when you read in the papers and see on the news all the crimes that are happening and all these people that are arrested for the crimes that they did and so forth, none of those people should have gone through that either. And there's no reason for it. But these type of people do it. They rape, they rob, they murder, they steal. And what I really feel sorry for are these children and it is a very, very big problem, these children that suddenly go missing. And their parents are worried day after day after day. Are their children oh. alive? Are they dead? And so forth. And they're left 20, 30 years later. They still don't know if their child is alive or dead in the, you know, wherever they are. And, again, I think it, it helps a little bit, I think, if people look at the news uh, media and they see all the stories uh, about people that have uh, crime victims and so forth uh, and realize that this is what type of misfits are still existing in society and that they, the pain and suffering that those victims' families go through, uh, it's, it's almost similar to what we go through uh, in, you know, fighting guardianship. And it may not help that much, but it's still a little bit of assistance that, 
these people that are going through who have been victims of crime in various ways, they're not going to get justice either. And it's the reason why these lawyers are doing such a lousy job uh, in their own business, because they don't care about fixing the laws to make justice available to those people uh, of those various types of crimes, and again, especially in guardianship. So it, it is something where uh, you just really you just have to hold on to it uh, as much as you can. You have to hold on to your own sanity, or you will go insane. Uh, and again, I have no absolute solution for people. Uh, I wish I did, but again, it's. It's a tragic situation when people are suddenly faced with it. Uh, I, I do, I do have a question for Valerie. Um, do you find? Uh, and before I go to that, I remember Marty Cos said many times that uh, that people, you know, who are uh, made to feel inferior because they forget things. I remember Marty always said, "Well, that was age discrimination." Because if you were 30 or 40 years old and you lost your car keys or something, everybody says, oh, well, that's all right. Everybody forgets. But if you're 65 or suddenly, then you lose your car keys. People start saying, oh, you've got dementia or whatever. Uh, but And it's true. It is age discrimination. I mean, look at lawyers. They use yellow pads because they forget. So should we put all them into nursing homes just because they forget once in a while? So... Uh, as, as far as my question to Valerie, do you find people are able to cope better with their loved ones who have uh, the onset of dementia or Alzheimer's if they've raised children? What I'm, what I'm thinking about is the fact that, as I have found, and somebody told me you know, a year or so ago, two years ago, she said, once as an adult, twice as a child. And I was telling this person about how lousy I felt that I did not feel that I was as sympathetic as I should have been when it first started. You know, a couple of years ago when a little bit of forgetfulness started with my loved person. And, I, I, and she meant by that once an adult, twice as a child, that you start out as a child, you have to be told things three and four and five times. You grow up to become an adult. And then if you start to get dementia or Alzheimer's, you go back to being a child where uh, the adult caregiver has to say something three or four times to remind the person to do something where normally they would remember. So my question is, Valerie, do you find that people that have children, who have raised children, they're able to cope with their parent going through dementia or Alzheimer's in the beginning, do you find that they are able to cope better because they learned the uh, tolerance when they were raising children? I, I don't know if there's necessarily a correlation, but what I think helps a lot is remembering that there's still always an individual there, and we want to make sure that we honor that individual. So often I see people do um, make really quick um, assumptions based on a person having dementia and they may not they may not appear as an adult or they may look like they have reverted to having childlike tendencies 
But what when that person is right there in front of you, that person is still that person with all that rich life experience. So it's really hard for me to like pair those apart because it, it's two different things because I think as a caregiver, um, it can be so challenging to, um, especially if you do have children and the adults that you're caring for at the same time, be able to focus and separate all those things out. And I feel like those individuals might almost have less patience or less ability to cope because they are so afraid. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking of myself when I was in the position of caring for my, my grandmother with dementia and being a mother at the same time. Yes, I had some fresh techniques as far as providing care in chaotic situations, but I don't necessarily know or I don't think I can correlate being a parent and providing better dementia care. I think being armed with a bunch of resources for dementia care helped me be able to uh, ride the waves of being a dementia caregiver because it can be so challenging and so unique for every individual. And, you know, if we take um, the thought of looking at the situation through the perspective of the individual with dementia, it might be... um, less or it might be a lot more obvious as to why we might have to repeat that that statement a few times because for individuals with dementia even though we might be saying something very simple three or four times it could take them until that fourth time hearing it that they've even processed what we've said let alone started to respond to it so i know that was a a big roundabout answer but i hope that can uh help clear things up a little bit. Valerie, I have another question for you. Do you find that repetition and having them do daily chores, keeping them active, doing various activities, you know, vacuuming, cleaning, doing whatever, uh, do you find having those type of activities keeps their mind more active? Absolutely, yes. Anything to be engaged. We all have our passions, you know, whether that's being creative or working around the house or working in the garden, whatever keeps you active, working with, you know, both your hands and your mind, anything, anything to keep engaged is really powerful because if we don't use it, we lose it, whether that's our mind or our body. And I I feel like during the pandemic, that was really what led to my, my grandma's dementia onset was was isolated and not engaged and not doing the things that she used to. And without that stimulation, her brain wasn't functioning the way it used to. So, yes, anything to keep active, engaged, yes. And do things, you don't have to do a lot. Do things that are simple and easy and, you know, can be purposeful. You know, you mentioned things like vacuuming. If that's safe, do it. Do the dishes. <laughs> whatever, Whatever works. Valerie, I have another question for you. Uh, it's in, in the case of my loved person, basically because I have been denied to be with this person, um, try to play a little game of I had to pay to see this person and I ran out of money so I couldn't pay to see this person anymore. Uh, do you feel that uh, being isolated, uh, in other words, loneliness, uh, 
do you feel that that also uh, promotes more memory uh, disengagement? Yes, absolutely. Socialization is really important for us as humans, and isolation of any kind can be really detrimental to our well-being, our mental health, and our physical health. So doing what we can to reaching out to reach out to others. You know, Kaz started to mention before the idea of a support group. You know, there are things that bring us together as humans that aren't always very positive, but having that ability to articulate what's on our mind is really, really powerful because I I don't know, I can speak for everyone, but I know how intense it can be to keep something stressful to myself and how powerful, cathartic, therapeutic it is to share and reach out to my community. Thank you. Absolutely. You're welcome. Wow, this has been a great conversation. I just want you to know I've gotten some messages. People are loving the show, and they said thank you for a positive show today. I mean, Reverend Ralph, like you brought me to tears, the questions that you're asking and just me knowing what you're going through. Like I just feel like the pain of like what you're learning and what you're knowing about, you know, your whole situation. And just it's so it's so heartbreaking, and yet I'm just so glad that we have our – you know, our little community of people that we can support each other. But I'm excited if more people can um, come to the Zoom call for with Valerie. Valerie, will you tell again, like, how people can connect onto the Zoom call? Because it's actually something that's been talked about and nobody did it. And so now you're the okay. somebody who did it. And so we're just <laughs> going to, like, ride your coattails here. If you want to let everyone know and just kind of if it um, explain how people can get on a Zoom call, because I don't know that everyone's ever done Zoom, especially if they're, like, living at home and not really having a job to work at. They're going to not probably do Zoom. They're going to have more Facebook Messenger. So if you want to explain what the Zoom, this Zoom program is, too. Yes, absolutely. So... Um, a few years ago, I started a conversation, which I have called Time for a Cutful, and it's all about bringing us together to have these conversations so that we aren't isolated. And the next gathering will be on 29th of June, and we'll meet at 5 p.m. Central. And I think the easiest way to access this, I can share the contact for my website, and I can, from that website, you can get uh, the link. So the website is joyful, J-O-Y-F-U-L-L, living.info, and through that, you can find access to this monthly Zoom conversation, and Zoom is the platform that we're utilizing for this call, um, but in the future, if we find um, there is a different platform that's easier for others to connect with, that is always an option. And then I want to share one other thing. It might be easier for others to initially connect with me. I have a business cell, which is 608-709-8715, and you can call or text, and I can share these links with you. I want to make it easy to connect. Would you say that phone number one more time in case people didn't get their pens out fast enough? Of course. That phone number is 
That is very generous of you to give out your number for people to call or text and just have a one-to-one talk with you and also to host a Zoom call. I really hope that our listeners will be able to get to just take time for themselves, forget about what's going on, and just get on the Zoom call and have a positive experience. I know today's feeling like just a really positive, like I can just like feel it in my soul, just like this uplifting you know, saying, and I think Reverend Ralph, you like just nailed it on the head. Like everyone goes through crime. People like, like people don't get their crime solved. They don't get justice. They just, you know, and why would we, why would be we be any different? It's so hard and it's so awful going to our loved ones and to watch criminals just get away with their crimes. But we keep talking about it because we want to bring awareness so that other people won't go through these crimes. But it's really hard to come to the realization that on this side of eternity, they might get away with their crime. And it's it's hard. And I, I feel like I've gotten to that point where on this side of eternity, I think that they'll probably continue to get away with their crime. But I'm also hoping that what I'm doing and like doing the show and everything and talking with everybody will make their crime a little bit harder. And uh, I hope that they have some guilty consciences for everything that they're doing. You know, real quick before we end the show, we have to talk about our Debbie Dahmer um, challenge. And, oh, my gosh, Valerie, you need to meet Debbie Dahmer. So she is also on TS Radio. She is my mama bear. And she runs a show called Voices Carries for Animals. And her whole show is all about animals. And for you to talk about, like, the the wildlife rescue that you do, I think she would be loving to hear about that. But Debbie Dahmer is a fierce advocate because her father was a WWE and WWF wrestler, and he was abused in a nursing home. There actually has been lawsuits filed and ongoing litigation going on there in Florida for what was done to her father. Um, chief fighting um, white out and his name was George Dahmer anyway she has told us that we all have to take action we just cannot sit around and complain we actually have to call our elected officials and make our voices known so we just started this so there was a Senate hearing that happened in March and it was a hearing with the, this, um, there's an elderly committee, the Elderly and Aging Committee, and they did a hearing on guardianship. And so we're going back and forth, um, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, because we're equal opportunity. And the first person that we picked to um, talk to was um, Bob Casey, and he's the head of that, he's the head of that committee. And then the next person that we um, chose was Mark, Mike Braun. And he, can you guys still hear me? Because I just lost my internet connection. Yeah, I can hear you, Cause. Okay, all right. So I'm not going to be able to see any callers if they call in right now because my what my laptop just went down. So it's it's just the three of us. I am so sorry. I don't know what's going on with my computer, but myself is working. Okay. Um, so we did Bob Casey, and we were we were writing and calling and thanking him for holding the hearing. Then we did Mike Brown out of Indiana, and he's the Republican. He's the next ranking committee member on um, on that committee of aging. And then we did one of our. We actually had a hero, a hero 
elected official. And that was Art Art Haywood out of, and he's a state senator out of Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. He was so amazing on that spotlight PA webinar that they did on guardianship. And this is a few weeks back and he gets it. He's like, we might like, he, he totally believes us. He gets it. And he's right there in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. And then we did a member of the aging committee and his name is for on the Republican side. We did Tim Scott. So did everyone Hopefully send their letter to Tim Scott. He's also running for president of the United States. So he should want to hear from all of us, not just the people in his district. The next person that I picked, so now we're going to go back to Democrat, and he is also on the Committee for Aging, and his name is Raphael Warnack, and he's out of Georgia. And I have a fun little story Marty was having a hard time getting her real ID because there's these new rules with real, real ID and she wasn't going to be allowed to vote in Georgia unless she had her ID. But because when married women, if they get a divorce and name changes and stuff happen, it's hard to have all the paperwork to prove all this. And now when you go in for IDs, you have to women have to have more paperwork and I've and that's a whole nother show like is this discrimination against women and blah 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 because they have to do all this extra stuff but anyway um, Marty was having some issues and obviously in Georgia if she didn't have an ID she wasn't going to be allowed to vote so she contacted Raphael Warnick's office and told him the situation and he, he took care of it right away, and so Marty actually was liking on this guy. So Marty, um, when Marty passed away, she was living in Georgia, and she actually had had meetings with Raphael Warnick's office, and she had positive things to say about him. And he's also a reverend. I was reading all about him. Did you know that, Ralph? He's also a reverend, and he is on that Committee of Aging. And so he is our next pick for who we're all going to write. We're going to thank them for doing the hearing, and we're going to tell a little story about what happened with you. We're going to be very respectful and nice, and we're going to ask them to please do another hearing on this because the previous hearing that they had done on guardianship was five years ago. So we can't have them talking about this just once every five years. So we want to encourage them to put this back on the agenda and sooner rather than later. So that's that is who we're going to call Raphael Warnack. So we've just got a few minutes, and I have lost, lost, lost my laptop. Um, Ralph, do you have any more thoughts? Yes, I do. I'm, I, was, I was just about to interrupt you, Carl. Okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah, oh. I, I do want to uh, – Valerie brought up uh, – you know, she was talking about the Zoom a few minutes ago, and that's a very, very yeah. important uh, uh, ability – at these nursing homes, I know most of them don't have it, but instead of having, say, a family member, if, if they live far away, for example, instead of a family member simply calling uh, their loved person, uh, if they could get the nursing home to set up a, uh, like a, a table on wheels and put the t uh, laptop on it, if they could set up a Zoom-type uh, procedure, then now the person in the nursing home can actually see the relative or their son or spouse or whatever, and that way they actually get to see the face as opposed to just hearing a voice that they may not actually visualize it in their head as far as what that person looks like. 
And to add something that I had thought of, and I don't know why, sometimes ideas come to me, I don't know why, Uh, what I did was I took about 2,000 pictures of the inside of my loved person's house and the outside, every room, every piece of furniture, every painting, everything in that person's house. And look, every time I would visit, which I haven't been able to do for about three months now, I gave this person maybe 15 or 20 pictures and to say, oh, do you remember this couch? Do you remember that chair? And so forth. And it was also out of curiosity to see what the reaction was. And I was sort of, I felt embarrassed that the person would say, yeah, I remember it's over in this corner or over that corner and -and so-and-so made that painting all, which reassured me and gave me comfort to know that this person still has a lot of their memory. They are not just a lot uh, in dementia. They only have a little tiny bit of forgetfulness. And again, any little bit of hope gives you happiness that, uh, you know, this person is still alive and well and still has that brain activity and again that's how I take my comfort but you know setting up a zoom call I think it's a very good idea in the nursing absolutely and maybe even in the courtrooms what do you think about that I would like to watch when you go to court Reverend Ralph well you know you just brought up a good point cuz the fact that in my case uh, the guardians are trying to keep the loved person out of the courtroom just because, you know, they don't want, they're trying to say that it would upset the person. Well, no, they're trying to keep it away, the person away, so they don't right. prove that they know what they're talking about, uh, like they want to go home. So, no, cause you raised a very good point that if the Zoom, which in Montgomery County there is a Zoom function in the court, they could have this little yeah. person from the nursing home do a Zoom call, and that would take a lot of the hot air out of their argument that, oh, it would be too upsetting or the person, you know, would be upset if they went into an actual courtroom. They could do it from the comfort of their own room at the nursing home. Absolutely, but they they have ulterior motives. Now, Jenny had a Zoom call because I was on it, the one that you were sitting out in the hallway yes, in Montgomery yes, County. I, I was on the Zoom I was on the Zoom call, so I, I, I watched that whole charade go down. So they are capable of having Zoom hearings, but they, I mean, I think you're just so powerful. They, they fear you, Reverend Ralph, and they, um, as they should, but they need to do the right thing. It's not, this is not a game of Monopoly. This is real life. That's true, Cause. This is Valerie, not, what, yeah. Yeah. It, it's Go not, ahead. but they think it is. They think it's, you know, I'm better, mm-hmm. I, I control your person and you can't. Exactly. It's just a game. Valerie, do you have anything to interject on what, what Reverend Ralph brought up about Zoom calls? Well, Zoom can be super, super powerful, and it is something that even in the last five years, I've been really involved with utilizing the power of technology to help connect, Um, but it can also be very limiting because there are so many individuals that don't have access to technology. So it's a tool that if we use it the right way, can be really helpful. And I I just laugh to myself thinking that I was divorced over a Zoom hearing. So um, 
yes, it, it, oh. it's all possible. <laughs> it's just a matter of using it for the right purposes and getting it to the hands of the people that really need it. So, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Especially during COVID, so many people just united through through the Zoom calls. And there's no reason why these court hearings can't be done on Zoom calls. It's just, it's obvious that this Judge Wellheimer just doesn't want to do the right thing and has something to hide. That's all you can think. You don't want to let people court watch. You have something to hide. I agree. So, yeah. Okay, we just have a few minutes left. Let's just go over real quick a few little announcements. We want everyone to know if for some reason you can't listen to this show live, you can listen to it on at blogtalkradio.com. It's archived there. Now, we love blog talk, but what I've noticed is when you hit start and if you stop, it goes back to the beginning again. So you can't, like, like pause. But what, where you can pause is I like to listen to my podcast because I like to listen to the other ones that are on the show. I listen on Spotify. And what's really nice is you can – pause it or if you've already heard something because you were listening to it a second time or something what you know whatever you can fast forward with your finger by just dragging it forward and backward so i've noticed that on that app it's a little bit more um more user friendly but we love blog talk radio thank you thank you but they just don't have that way of like going forward or backward or even if you heard something and you're like wait what was that and you want to kind of just go back and re-listen you can't do that on blog talk but if you go on spotify we're on itunes podcast addicts stitchers something bean um there are platforms that we are on in other countries because we've gotten the emails and the, Marty's the one who logged in the back of the house, so I will not ever be able to get into the back of the house on a lot of the platforms. So if you want to send messages, I guess the best way I would say is go through Reverend Ralph's website and find find him there if you want to get a hold of us. But so we don't even know what's going on on all these other podcast on these other platforms, but we do know that we are going out to them i can't see the back of the house statistics to see who's listening i only can see a few of them that um marty and i were able to set up before she passed away but she had more were getting set up and unfortunately i don't have the passwords for that but they're still getting uh put out on these i do want to mention that they are never there is never a charge there's one platform that is charging to listen to these shows and if you are listening to this show right now and you pay to listen to it, you don't need to pay to listen to the show. Get on one of these other platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Podcast Addict, um, Blog Talk Radio. You can listen to the archive. If you and a lot of these, um, a lot of these have all the archive show now. Blog Talk has them archived all the way back to the beginning. And, in fact, the 13-year anniversary of this podcast is coming up next year. So I'm trying to learn how to reshare some of the shows so we can hear some of, like, the, uh, the, the oldies but goodies with Marty Oakley. When we went onto the platforms, they just took the last 300 shows. So they're not all – the archives aren't all on 
on these platforms that will go back the 13 years. Um, did I make sense on like how, are there any other platforms that you all can think of that I should be mentioning? Not me. I'm not that familiar with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, so these shows are always available. If you're busy on Friday night and you can't tune in, you can definitely, if you're driving to work like me, I love listening to podcasts. And in fact, next week's guest, we will be having Radell Lewis, and he has his own podcast called Purple Nation. And we're just really excited to host him. And I'm going to, like, let Reverend Ralph know more about Radell. But really, he's really excited to come on, and he's going to be bringing us a new audience. And hopefully, we're going to be able to go on other people's podcasts and start talking about guardianship and abusive guardianship so we can get the word out to more people. Because the more people that are educated about this scam, the more it's going to stop. I'm just real quick then to tell our our um, sponsors. Our, we are sponsors are NASCA, the National Association of Stop Guardianship Abuse, ASCA, the Australian Association of Guardianship Abuse and Administration of Abuse, Shenanigans in the Montgomery County Facebook page, and Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit. We have two minutes left. Reverend Ralph Valerie, do you have any last words to say? Not tonight. So, well, thank, thank you, you so, so much. Thank you so much. How about um, give us that phone number one more time, Valerie, and we'll end the show. Wonderful. That phone number is 608-709-8715. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Make sure you get a hold of Valerie. Get on that Zoom call and take care of yourself. Everyone have a good night. Thank you so much. Good night. Good night. Good night.